Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 628. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is a parent's self-understanding. Uh, will you tease the show topic? Sure. So today we're going to talk about dysregulation, and uh, it sounds really clinical in when I say it, but we were having a conversation with our friend um, Rosalind Wiseman last week, and she brought this up in terms of school board meetings mm-hmm. and things that are going down um, in all places, in you know, in city centers and, you know, in mayor's offices and in school board meetings and where adults are showing up and like kind of causing, well, let me say it this way. They are, their intention, I think, is to bring something into awareness, to make a point, Mm -hmm. to say, this is something I believe in, which every human has the right to do. But the way it's being done is what we have to discuss. And this can be about Things involving, um, you know, like I said, issues in our communities or it can be in our own home. So if this really, if you're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to school board meetings, that's not my thing. No worries. This also impacts the way you relate to your partner and your children. So it's relevant to every aspect of our lives. Sweet. Uh, but first, I want to say uh, thank everybody for being on Team Zen. Team Zen is where we spend a lot of time with our listeners, it's a community of parents supporting one another. Uh, connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents. We happen to be recording our 132nd Zen Talk here in about two hours. And I want to say thank you to a few of the newer members. Okay. Laura from Baltimore, Elaine from Wilmette, Cheryl from Chattanooga, Amber from Plano, Texas, Amanda from Orient, Ohio, Jocelyn from Long Beach, and Mary from Minneapolis. Lovely. Thanks to all of those newer team members we hope to see you on today's talk. And then um, December 13th, Jason Gaddis, who is a friend of Kathy's and mine, uh, we are inviting him to do what's called a speaker series. It's open to all genders. Uh, it's through the Men Living platform. Yeah, this is not a Zen parenting thing. This is Men Living. Right. But my hope is that as many listeners of Zen parenting will join us. Sure. It's how to listen during and after conflict which would probably be um, fall in the lines of dysregulation. I'm guessing there's not a lot of listening that happens during conflict. So uh, if you want to RSVP for that event, it's free. Um, Just go to the show notes. All right. Okay. So another thing that I want to bring up, and I'm going to surprise you here. Oh, we are. Is we have kind of a a big announcement um, that we'll be making next week. Po- probably next week, possibly the week following. It just Should depends I on how much on we the get drum done. Roll? Sure, go ahead. Nice. So, all of you know that we do a Zen parenting conference every year, at least for the last five years. And last year, of course, because of COVID, we didn't do anything. So, our last one was in 2020. We got it in in February, right before everything shut down. So everything is still a little uncertain. Um, So we decided instead of doing a live conference, we are going to do a virtual summit. So Zen Parenting Virtual Summit 2022. I know some people are like, oh, but I really like going to the West End and Lombard, but I have good news for you. You don't have to get on a plane. Right. It's free. Right. Um, So yes, we're not going to be in person hugging each other like we usually do, but we will be together virtually. And so I guess the thing that we're going to keep from you at this point 
are the speakers because there's 15 of us. That's including Todd and I. So 13 of our friends, uh, new friends and old friends. Mm -hmm. um, and then Todd and I. So 15 people um, that you get to hear from. And so really we're kind of, we're basing this summit around the same time as my book comes out. So Todd and I are going to spend some time during this summit talking about each chakra that is within my book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. We're also interviewing some of these people who are in our summit, some of these thought leaders. And then we, we did an interesting thing this year where a few of our thought leaders are interviewing each other. Mm -hmm. um, we thought we would do something new because there are a few people in our summit that we've had on the show several times. So we thought, let's, let's shake things up a little bit yeah. and have them interview each other. So it's going to be super cool. When are people going to be able to sign up for this? Thing? Well, the, most likely next week. The plan is? The plan is 1130. Okay. The only reason that I'm saying the plan is, is because, you know, this is Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And then we're coming right into, you know, then we have Monday. Yeah. So I want to, that is our intention. But I also know that we're working with a lot of different aspects here of getting this online. And I don't want to do this quickly. I want to do it right. Yep. I am much more into quality than I am into an actual date. Got it. Sweet. All so right. We will hopefully be. It's very exciting. Saying to people that you can sign up next week. Hopefully. That's the plan. Yes. Uh, Zen parenting moment. Kathy comes out with it every Friday. Um, the topic last week was caring. Yes. Keep your heart open for as long as you can, as wide as you can for others and especially for yourself. Maury Schwartz. Is that Tuesdays yeah, with Maury? that's Maury's? Tuesdays with Maury. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I thought this was an exceptionally impactful one. You and sent I'm, it to our children. Yeah. Well, these kids got to know how, how amazing their mom is. <laughs> and um, I think they just think Kathy's just some regular lady, and she's not. Oh, they know me. Um, just a few quotes from your, <clears throat> from yeah. your moment. Yeah. Caring about others means they live inside of us. Yeah. Caring about others can make us lose track of ourselves. Yes. Caring for them can cause us pain. Yes. Caring is beautiful and difficult, and it can feel like a hazard to our own health. Yeah. And lastly, to care is to be human, and it's the risk of being alive. I actually would have put cost of being alive, but risk. Yeah. Uh, what causes us the most pain are the things we love the most. I just thought it was a really good one, sweetie. It's the risk we take. You know, I mm -hmm. could have probably said that differently. Like, we can't be human beings on the earth and not understand that that by definition is inherently risky. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I was trying to say is like caring for people. It's such a lovely word, right? I care for this person. But what's the truth, everybody? When you care for people... They break your heart sometimes and they scare you and they make you uncomfortable and they make you think about them. And when I'm saying make you, I don't mean they're actually having that happen. They're not it saying just, just you just are. And so sometimes you feel sick because they're not home on time or sometimes you feel scared because they make a certain choice or sometimes you feel worried because you see a certain path. And the reason that I put that it's a hazard to our health is I have had nights where I couldn't sleep or stomach aches or times that I'm feeling like migraines are coming on, not because a person is causing it, but because I'm caring about them. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing is you have to be really careful with this language is I'm always trying to be really careful when I write things about, I'm not blaming the people I love. They're just living their lives. 
But because I'm caring about them, I carry them inside of me. And I can't help but sometimes feel a little upset. And sometimes I want to be like, this isn't right. This isn't fair. And then I'm like, you know what? It is. You go on to say, caring can feel out of control. We can only watch from the sidelines as people we love struggle or lose their way. Yeah, you can't. I mean, of course you can, if your children are very young or if they're asking for your help, you can come in and and help. But there are times when they just have to live Mm -hmm. and you just have to be there as a support system Mm -hmm. or sit in the dark with them when they're having a hard time. And it's just part of life. And, And I can say it's part of parenting. But I feel this way with my friends, and I feel this way with my mom, and I feel this way with the world when I see certain, you know, court cases or, you know, things that happen, like Wisconsin, there was like a huge issue this weekend where there was a bunch of people at a parade got, you know, run over Mm -hmm. by a car. And it was very upsetting because one of my girlfriends is from there, um, and I would have been upset either way, but I care. And so that causes me some distress. And sometimes we think it's unfair, especially me, or not especially me, but I feel that way sometimes because I feel it so deeply, but it's part of being human. And I feel like the more we, I say in the last paragraph, like it helps us develop boundaries because I have to have boundaries. It helps us develop, um, understand our feelings better. So there is some learning in it. We don't have to like take it what do people say? Take it in the chin, take it to the chin. What is yeah. that? What does take that one say? The chin. Yeah. We don't have to constantly feel, you know, bludgeoned by it, mm-hmm. but we can say, okay, this hurts. <laughs> so what can I do to make it hurt less? But I'm not going to say, I'm not going to care anymore. Yeah. Cause like Maury says, you have to keep your heart open. Yeah. You have to keep caring. Cause when we shut it down, bad things happen there too. That's right. Well, that's false. Um, so we're going to talk about dysregulation, yes. but because I live in a household of a bunch of Swifties, yes. it made me think of a song called Endgame. You're a Swifty. I am a Swifty, but not to the degree my daughters are. And we're thinking about maybe doing a pop culturing podcast. Yeah, I think we should definitely do it. Just about Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. Um, but I just want to sing some words here. Okay. Uh-oh. You're going to sing? Dysregulation. Ooh, you and me, we got a dysregulation. Ah. Sounds like a different uh, version. Dysregulation. That's how people are going to remember what we talked about today. Okay, dysregulation. What is dysregulation? Well, you know, I think let's talk about what self-regulation is first. Okay. Okay. So self-regulation, you know what, Todd? I want to start even further back. Yeah, let's... Okay, let's talk about emotional intelligence. Hold on. Let's let's back it up Okay, let's back it up. So let's talk about like the characteristics of emotional intelligence. And I'm not going to talk about every single aspect. All I'm going to talk about is self-awareness and social awareness, which are our recognition of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Self-awareness and social awareness is how we recognize what we're doing. So it's like our personal competence and our social competence. Regulation is our self-management and our relationship management. So that falls under regulation and, you know, also our personal competence and our social competence. So these are kind of the domains of emotional intelligence, right? Okay. This yep. is where we want to start. And and so now I'm just going to move to the corner of, you know, because I have this in a box for myself. I'm going to move to the corner of just of self-regulation. And self-regulation is being able to keep your disruptive emotions or your uncomfortable feelings in check, it doesn't mean you don't feel them. 
it means that they're in check. So what you're doing is you're acting in congruence with your values. Hmm. Okay. So basically you in no way, you, you guys know me well enough. I'm not saying you can't feel the things you feel, but you know, your value system, you know, your North, your North star, you understand how you want to show up in the world and you handle challenges. I'll, I'll say flexibly, like you kind of can realize what you're feeling and have an understanding. And again, that's because of your recognition of yourself, your self-awareness, but I'll, I'll dive deep into each of these, but for, I want to just talk about why this came up is because Rosalind, we were talking with Rosalind about this and about school board meetings and about how people are showing up at them and very angry and they're either walking out or they're, you know, making, they're yelling at people or they're, and let's take it off of, you know, face to face online. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because you are you online too. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are like, no, but it's online. That's still you showing up online. Yeah. So you have to take responsibility for that. If you are yelling, if you are calling people names, if you are walking out or being disruptive, you are dysregulated. If your values are, I'm going to be kind and w when I speak with people. Well, well, how are you teaching your children? Mm -hmm. Do you tell your children to yell out in class or to walk out on teachers or to disrespect authority figures? If you are not teaching your children that, then obviously your values are that you would like people to be civil mm -hmm. and treat each other with dignity. Yeah. So I can't believe there's people walking around saying, no, no, I'm in congruence with my values. I want everyone to feel like crap mm -hmm. and I want to win. That's not, I mean, maybe their ego wants that yeah. or maybe there's a part of their shadow that wants that. We all want to win. Sure. But what I'm saying is I don't even think it's a discussion to be like, no, no, I'm in congruence with my values. I want to be horrible. Yeah. Okay. I want to be nasty. I want to be nasty. People, and I'm the reason I'm saying this is because when, when Rosalind said it, I was like, it's so simple. You are dysregulated. So when people feel righteous or justified in yelling at people and showing up in a way that is scary or threatening or just out of control... You are dysregulated. Would um, the term reactive be synonymous with dysregulated, you think? Well, it could be. I mean, reactive feels to me like, and again, I just get a feel from the word. It's more of like a one shot, kind of like a, uh, you say something to me and I react moment, this moment way. Moment by moment. Dysregulation can be like, I'm having so many feelings. I am so angry. I am so going to tell this person how I feel that I am going to not just react in this moment, but I'm going to go do something mm -hmm. that could be harmful so, to myself and others. So reactive might be a glimpse, whereas dysregulated may be overall longer than a glimpse. Right. <laughs> exactly. D dysregulated is where, and again, people can be dysregulated for a long period of time. Like, let's talk about somebody who, let's talk about something that's kind of like easier to discuss at this point. Okay. A long time ago, Todd and I, um, there was this little park across the street from where we live and they were going to take down all the equipment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we were all bummed about it. Our whole street was really bummed about it because it was like our little park where yeah, our kids grew up. Take the park away. And my next door neighbor who no longer lives there, um, it's, this is years ago, not my current next door neighbor, but a different one. He didn't really have, as people would say, a dog in the fight, meaning he didn't have any young kids. He was a much older man, mm -hmm. but he decided to come over oh, yeah. to this meeting that we had with park district officials and just yell. Yeah. And we let him have it. We knew cuz we knew this man very well. We have a deep 
uh, we have a lot of love for this man. We kind of understood his life and history, and we took care of each other when he was living here. So we understood that he was just mad about life. Mm -hmm. And he took this opportunity to come across the street and just yell at these Elmhurst Park District people. And it didn't do any good. Mm -hmm. It caused a lot of discomfort. It caused a lot of like where we had felt like we had to repair to Mm -hmm. have a discussion. Now he walked away feeling very, I'm not going to say heard, but righteous. And later that day when I talked to him, I'm like, how you doing? (laughs) How you doing after that? Um, He still felt fine. Mm -hmm. And what I mean, he wasn't fine. He was still dysregulated. He still felt justified. So his dysregulation, because he wasn't seeing, he was, so how am I going to bring back in these other domains of of emotional intelligence? He had no Mm self-awareness. He did not realize where he was coming from because he didn't care about the park. He just saw an opportunity to go yell at an authority figure. He saw that there was a fight and he wanted to get in on it. He wanted in. And then he didn't have social awareness, which is other people who were there trying to have a dignified discussion, maybe a little bit, you know, intense and uncomfortable in moments, but everyone was treating each other with respect and Mm -hmm. we were listening to each other. And then he just kind of came in and we were all like, okay, that was really, I mean, we didn't use the word dysregulated then. It was really unhelpful. It was really unhelpful. And it, and maybe. And funny. Well, you had a moment. It's not kind to say it was funny, but I I was like, I can't believe he just did that. Well, and and here's the thing about funny. I think that funny is a reaction to discomfort. Sure. Because I did not think it was funny. Mm. Did I have a moment of looking at Todd and going, oh my God. In the moment, I was angry and embarrassed. Right. And then I thought about it later (laughs) on. I'm like, oh, I was angry and embarrassed and I'm thinking about it. And... Well, now that it's over and nobody got literally hurt, we can have some humor. But there are times dysregulated people cannot access their frontal lobe very well. What's in our frontal lobe? Um, Our rationalization, our willingness to... um, like take a breath and not be reactive, but instead be responsive. Our ability to access our understanding of other people. When you are that dysregulated, you can't access those things. So what happens? We do things like we road rage and we try and cut in front of people, which is dangerous to us mm-hmm. and to them. They're, your whole frontal cortex is turned off. So dysregulation is hurtful to other people and to you, and it can cause a lot of problems. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to begin here. Most of the problems that are caused are as a result of dysregulation. There's not a lot of calm people who become violent. Hannibal Lecter. Yes. He He is very calm. Well, he is a sociopath, and he is also a fictional character. True. Did you know that? He's not real. So he was just really calm when he was beating up that uh, police officer. Well, his blood pressure or his uh, pulse didn't go above yeah, whatever right. seventy eight or whatever Doctor Chil- Childress. Childress said. So, um, can, can I ask a question, please? So you started the show by saying um, holding disruptive emotions in check, and in you check, were very yeah. quick to say that doesn't mean that we push everything down. But I kind of feel like there's a paradoxical nature of this because if we're feeling angry, how do we 
how, how are I think in the moment we are pushing it down and then eventually we need to let it out in a healthy way, right? So let's add in these other domains. Okay, so we're talking about self-regulation or when we are dysregulated. You still have three things that you need to focus on. Your self-awareness, your social awareness, and your relationship management. Mm-hmm. So you have these like motivations or tools to support you in managing your anger. So you are angry, Mm -hmm. okay? The first thing is recognizing you are angry. Because if you don't know your feelings, and there's a lot of people who will just say, I was overwhelmed, I was stressed, I was stressed, I blew up, Um, you made me do it. That's what uh, abusers tend to do, Mm -hmm. is you're the one who made me feel this way. It's your fault. Um, So... There is this, you know, or someone will say, I got really angry and did something really bad, but that's because of the outside world. Mm-hmm. And and it, it makes sense. Like, I'm not sitting here saying, how could you do that? Anger, like you said, Todd, because your point is, isn't that what anger can drive in us mm-hmm. Is the are these tendencies? But anger is an emotion because something that we care about or a boundary has been crossed, or someone has offended us, or we are scared. Mm -hmm. And this feeling comes out to remind us, it's almost like a, I see like a stoplight, like a red light, like a warning sign, like something's not right here. Something's not right. Exactly. So I don't have a beef with anger. Mm -hmm. I think anger is really helpful. But we got to go back to, are you aware that you are angry? And now that you're angry, can you recognize, and again, it's not like you're doing all this in real time. There's like a, it's like a process and a practice of, can you take some breaths and calm down Mm -hmm. and not run and get your keys and step out the door in that state? So does the taking, because I completely agree with everything you're saying. I know you do, but you want to So when you're taking the breaths, Uh are we pushing it down or are we transforming it? Well, of course you're not pushing it down because you're still feeling it, right? right. I'm angry. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm angry. I'm going to take some yes. breaths because yes. I, I, on a good day, this is what I do. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm angry. I'm going to take some breaths. Um, does the breath work? And I'm, I, I don't know the answer to this. Push it down or does it transform it into a more productive way? Well, can it be neither? Can it just, it doesn't repress it because if you're like, I am so angry, I'm going to breathe. You're not denying you're angry. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the first thing. The other part is we don't have to make something good Mm -hmm. right away. We don't have to be like, I'm about to become super enlightened and transform this into healthy energy. It doesn't work like that. That takes some time. But what you're doing is you know, anger is an interesting one because when we are angry, we are willing to say anything hurtful, right? Because we just, our anger is just like, um, we are willing to yell at our children. We're willing to say to our partner, you were never good at this anyway. Mm -hmm. We are willing to go to, uh, you know, the mayor's officer to a school board meeting and tell, you know, teachers or administrators that they're horrible people. We're willing to do that because our anger is driving that. If we are unaware of it. Yeah. Anger starts driving the bus. Exactly. And we, our essence, our awareness is in the backseat. It gets lost. Like we become it. The anger. That's a good way, Todd. Let's talk about, because we usually do this with fear, with the car. Mm -hmm. 
but you can be driving the car, who you are, mm. the, the, you know, again, you can use whatever you want, essence, soul, sense of self, it, you know, whatever you want, you are the one driving, but anger is like fear in that it can jump over the backseat and take the wheel. And the only way to, n- to allow it to be, you can stay in the car anger, mm. but you are not taking the wheel is to acknowledge, yeah. to breathe, to maybe have a good yell, not at people, but out loud, to stomp around, to talk to somebody. What tends to happen to me is as soon as I start to say what is making me angry, I tend to cry. Mm-hmm. And it's not it, sometimes anger can become sadness like they're they're very they can be very interwoven but I don't really care in that moment what I'm calling it. All I know is that I'm releasing it. Mm-hmm. And I can still have anger but I'm not reacting from the anger. So in other words, <clears throat> we keep using breath work as a an ability in that moment something you can do. Uh-huh. So by breathing... And you know what? I'm going to say this to you only because I know what you mean, but when we say breath work, it sounds like a... Um, mindful breathing. Right. Or taking a breath. Just taking breathing breath. like a human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, breathing like a human, it could, without an awareness that you're breathing, it doesn't really help. Totally. Right? Like, I know exactly what you're saying. What I'm doing is trying to knock all the jargon out of it. Right. Because this isn't... You can do this without any previous practice. Yeah. It doesn't have to be called breath work. Correct. It could be called spending time paying attention to your breath. It could be... because Taking if a breath. I know, but sweetie, we're taking breaths all the time. We need right. to be aware of the breath. I know. I know. I know what you're saying. I, I get it. It's just for someone who is angry a lot and yells a lot, they can in a moment change that just by paying attention to their breathing. Right. And when you're saying the practice of breath work, doing breath work, someone may say, well, I haven't done that. Yeah. So I'm not going to be able to do this. So you could change it in a moment. Yeah. Breath work simply means paying attention to, to breathing. When we do that, we are recognizing anger is in the back seat Correct. of the car. Right. If we don't do that, it's possible anger will take the wheel right. and stuff you in the trunk or in the back seat. Right. So when I was kind of like struggling with, are we transforming it? Are we pushing it down? It sounds like now I'm at the point where we're just recognizing that it's there. Well, it's like I said before, you're keeping it in check. Mm-hmm. Like you're not denying it. You're not saying I can't feel you. You're not saying I shouldn't feel you. You're saying I feel you. Mm-hmm. Now let's do something with some self-awareness, mm-hmm. some social awareness, and with some respect responsible relationship management. So let's take it to a family. Before you do that, we're going to talk about our partner, Let It Be Us. And what they do is they inspire foster care and adoption. So the month of November is actually National Adoption Month across the United States. And National Adoption Month has been celebrated for over two decades in an effort to raise awareness about the thousands of teens currently in foster care who are waiting for their own permanent and loving families. Our sponsors and friends, Let It Be Us, are recruiting families in the state of Illinois who are committed to supporting teens and their success. Their new initiative is to help young people ages 16 to 24 who are currently in foster care in the state of Illinois. Let It Be Us is committed to recruiting new families, helping them secure a foster care license, and then being there to support the family in any way possible. So you might be asking yourself who can join. Anyone who is a good citizen and wants to help a child has a really big heart and is in a desire for serious commitment and a deep connection. And if you want to learn more, go to letitbeus.org or go directly to the show notes where you will find a link to the site. 
and a link to a podcast where we talk to Let It Be Us and a family who experienced a foster care success story. And now on with the show. So let's go back to, and again, when I'm saying I'm doing exactly what I was saying to Todd about I'm using lots of big language, self-awareness, social awareness, relationship management. All I mean by that, self-awareness is, wow, I am mad. You recognize it. You see it. Social awareness is, I could be really destructive right now Mm -hmm. with my anger. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Relationship management is... All of these people mean way too much to me, the people I love in my home and also the people in my community or the people, uh, and we may say, well, online people don't matter to me. It's just common humanity, making somebody feel horrible or calling them an awful person or saying that, or doxing them or trolling them are not great ideas. Mm-hmm. They're, it may make you feel like your anger has something going on, like that you're actually doing something productive, but actually you're doing something destructive. And so that is not who we want to be. Right. Dignity, yeah. right? And um, so those are the things that we have to focus on, not only the tools that fall under each, and we can talk about that too, but that is how we keep ourselves from dysregulating. Or if we are already dysregulating, stay off social networking, do not send that text or email, and Find a way to breathe and calm down before you have a discussion about this. Like I was listening to um, Esther Perel on, I think she was on Glennon's podcast last week, and they were talking about the the kind of the misunderstanding or the myth of let's never go to bed angry. Because if you are angry, mm-hmm. it might be in your best interest to say, let's do this in the morning. Yeah. Because if you are still so angry at each other and it's midnight yeah. and nobody is calming down, you may not be able to resolve it and you may do something worse. Yeah. So the decision to say, you may not use the language, I am dysregulated, but to say, I am so angry, let's go to sleep and let's do this in the morning. You you want to make sure you have a plan. Mm-hmm. You don't want to deny it and wake up. I know so many couples who wake up and pretend nothing happened. happened. Yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. But what mm-hmm. Esther was saying was like, anger can be hurtful. And you don't want to be in, you may still feel angry, but you don't want to be in that state of dysregulation when you're having a discussion with someone you love. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I've never been a big fan of the rule of never going to bed. I think it's a wonderful idea in principle, but the reality of it, to your point, if it's midnight and you're not getting anywhere, sometimes it's best just to have a fresh brain to talk about this right. in the morning. Fresh brain. We need a fresh... And just that language, like if you can in... Uh, when you aren't overwhelmed by emotion and you and your partner are having a discussion that is pretty civil and you're like, how are we going to have these difficult talks Mm. to say, let's go with fresh brain. Let's go to bed if it's past a certain time. Um, There are times that you and I have decided to stay up because one of us couldn't sleep or we were like, let's at least get this part hashed out. There is no rule here. I'm not telling anybody you have to do this or that. What I'm saying is fresh brain is an option. And a good option. A great option. A lot of the times. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think my mom always say, you know, 
in the morning, everything seems a little bit always. better. It always, and in the morning you have more. So what happened overnight? Okay. First of all, you slept and you were able to allow your body to rest, but then you wake up and all aspects of your brain are back online. Mm-hmm. So you can be rational. Yeah. You may still be angry about what happened. It's not about, you know, Todd keeps asking the question, like, are you repressing or oppressing your anger? Noticing your anger and breathing or choosing not to react to it is not repressing it. Mm-hmm. It's just being aware of it. Yeah. Like it's a totally different thing, which is what we want. Because emotions, again, anger, sadness, embarrassment, um, all of these are important. We don't we don't not want anger or else we wouldn't know what we care about. Sure. Like, I'm very aware when something comes up in the news, and Todd will know because I'll talk about it incessantly, and I'll keep saying, can you believe this? I'm angry because I know what I care about, Mm -hmm. and I care about uh, broad topics, and I know that we can dive deep, but justice and people's dignity and civility. And when I see these things being messed with, and especially if a justice system like upholds these things that are not dignified or not civil or unjust, I get very upset. Yeah. Well, and any emotion are all indicators if we allow them to be. They're messages. Indicators of something needs to be expressed and understood and investigated and processed through. And you can almost like give your emotion a voice. Like I talk to women a lot about experiences with their partners and they will get really mad at their partner about something like, and then, um, and, and I'll do this in a a partnership that is male, female. Um, the, you know, she'll say my husband, you know, he didn't come home. He didn't call, um, or he came home late or he didn't do what I asked him to do. And she's understandably upset, right? Feels not seen Mm -hmm. all those things that we talk about. And then I'm like, what's, let's talk about the anger. What's the anger? You know, I don't feel seen. I don't feel valued. Okay, what else? And it's, he's making me bring this up. Mm-hmm. Now I feel forced to confront this topic. And I'm angry that he is making me be the one who has to bring this up because I don't want to be this person. I don't want to complain. I do, and a lot of this is connected to good girl mm-hmm. shit. Sure. Sorry, but it's like, I don't want it. I want everything to be fine and mm-hmm. I want to be easygoing. And some of it is connected to I'm holding up my end of the bargain and you are not holding up yours and you are making me bring this up and it makes things uncomfortable and uncertain and I'm angry with you for that. So sometimes it's not just the thing, it's what it's I'm being driven to do. Well, and I think it's a pattern of either pursuing or avoiding conflict. Correct, correct. And I am a, I think I'm hopefully getting a little bit better at it, a conflict avoider. I mean, we talked to Gaddis about that a little bit, how sometimes you, you are the one that has to bring up, you know, when there's tension and mm-hmm. I don't want to acknowledge it and I pretend everything is fine. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a noticing a pattern of like, oh, am I avoiding conflict again? Because I know Kathy's going to say something and I'm sure that happens in a lot of couples. Well, and you know, uh, what Jason said to us on that show, which was really helpful was, you know, Kathy, can you look at it through the lens of you have that skill set and that part of being in a partnership is recognizing each other's skill sets and that you have the awareness and the capability and the drive to bring these things up because the bottom line is when I do, Todd's very receptive. Mm -hmm. So his point is like, 
who cares? Yeah, like, like surrender to the fact that, and he said Todd's nervous system, which I thought was right, interesting. Right, Like, what does that mean? Like, pattern of childhood? Like, how does my nervous system either good or bad at anything? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't quite understand how that works, but I believe him when he yeah. says that. Like, yeah. But then I also know that that could be an excuse. Sorry, sweetie, my nervous system can't, <laughs> Dude, can't my do nerve- it. <laughs> so I'd love to bring this conflict up, <laughs> but you know, my nervous system just can't handle it. Well, it's on on a different Astaire Perel podcast. I've been, I've been catching up with her um, Where Do We Begin podcast. She brought this up with a couple as well because one partner tends to bring up everything mm-hmm. and the other one doesn't. She said something similar to what Jason said, which was, you know, this is kind of how we're built. We have different skill sets. But what's also important, and I have said this to you, is could you practice Mm -hmm. bringing things up? I know that I'm better at it. Um, I'm more conscious of it. I see things quicker. I'm a little bit more in our family of the canary in the coal mine. I feel things quickly. I can tell something's off. And so I am going to have more of a, uh, I am going to bring things up mm-hmm. quicker than you. But my question, my question to you always is: if something is bothering you, yeah, don't make me chase you. Yeah, like take the initiative because I may not be. I may. I'm picking up on your mood for sure, mm-hmm. but I'm not always going to know what this is about. Right. Like I, I don't, and don't leave me in the dark to chase you down. Cause right. that's frustrating. It's like a cat and mouse thing. Yeah, that's, that's annoying. an unfair cat and mouse game. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, like, it's so funny cause you know, I have teenage daughters and, um, you know, and, and all their friends and everything. And, and it is funny how that is a very, um, like phase one, learning relationships, romantic, Mm -hmm. friendship, whatever. It's a very common Mm -hmm. way of interacting is who has the most power. And what you're always trying to do is get more power and then take more power and then not give anyone your... It it is like, I would love to say that nobody ever should do that, but I think it's a way of learning why not to. Sure. But what... So with teenagers, I expect it, and they can still hear why to not do that. Sure. Like I talk, you know, my girls and I talk about these things all the time. I don't justify it. You understand why they're doing it, but then you say, can you see how this other way might be easier, might feel better? Um, but when I'm talking with women who are past 30 years old, who are still doing that, yeah. I'm like, dude, like, let's let's get beyond the, I'm going to pretend I'm mad at you. I'm going to steal the power from you. I'm going to withhold from you. Um, I understand why you're doing it, but it's not super effective anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, or if you do it because you feel like a little overtaken by your emotions, can you then once regulated go back to your partner and say this morning I was with, you know, I was withdrawn and I was feeling this way because I wasn't ready. Like, can you take responsibility for that? And, so that's the that's the hope. Well, and part of me wants to pull up this worksheet, but I can't find it. But the patterns, the dances that couples do, mm-hmm. like here, one's the conflict pursuer, one's the conflict avoider, and we're both we're, we're both dancing with one another. And I think that there's a benefit to each one, a, a dysfunctional benefit. Sure. Like what do we get from these choices that we make? My choice is not to bring it up. Your choice is to bring it up. Like, why do we keep doing this if it's not working? And I think that there's like this byproduct benefit that we get, not not like a good benefit. I know it's kind of a oxymoron, but <clears throat> we get to stay connected 
because we're fighting. You, because we're fighting, right? You know, because if nobody brought anything up, then we wouldn't, right? We wouldn't have that connection. So, and there's like a list of things that we get out of these bad choices we make, which is why we keep making these choices. And I want to like pull up the examples, but I can't find it. But well, there was just like you know, I'm not going to use names, but you and I were just having a discussion about discussion about this a couple of weeks ago because there's two people in our lives who are connected, mm-hmm. um, and when they are with each other. They can do okay for a while, but there is a point in time, usually when they come back together or when they're leaving each other, mm-hmm. where they completely dysregulate and mm-hmm. fall apart and argue and get angry. And it often will, not every time, but sometimes it really will worry you. Mm-hmm. And you'll say, oh my gosh, look mm-hmm. at what's happening. And I, being a little more removed than you, can say, don't you see this pattern? Mm -hmm. This is how they stay connected. They are arguing because they don't know how to do this a different way, but they always resolve it. Always. And I'm always worried, like, well, maybe this is the last time. Maybe they won't resolve it. I found the worksheet. So these are some of the payoffs. I think that's a good word. Payoffs that you get from keeping any issue going. You get to avoid your core feelings, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes beneficial because it hurts to feel your feelings sometimes. And just as an example, I'm just angry at you versus I'm humiliated, mm-hmm. embarrassed, afraid. Yeah. We get to stay connected. Yep. We We're get, arguing. We get enlivened by adrenaline. Absolutely. A lot of people, like, uh, let's just say it as it is. A lot mm-hmm. of people have sex after big fights sure. like this. This is this can be like big arguments and these power struggles can create kind of a when I'm using the word passionate, I don't mean it in terms of love. Mm-hmm. I mean like a heightened yeah. energy where the what ends up happening is people connect yeah. intimately um, because that's the only way they can reach each other. Um, we get to stay in the familiar and avoid the unknown. Sure. We know what's how this is going to end. We've done this 80 times before. It gives me something to do or a compelling story to tell so we can keep like complaining to somebody Absolutely. else about it. I get to avoid taking responsibility for my own issues. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the, I, I always like that idea of why do we keep making these same mistakes? And it's because there's payoffs to these mistakes. Well, let's just be honest. Okay. Let's say we're in a discussion and I am aware of something that you're doing mm-hmm. and I am angry about it and I am yelling and, and, you know, and, and that's not the way I communicate with you, but let's just play the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And I am mad and I'm telling you why this is. And then you eventually are like, okay, uh, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hurt you. Think about all the things, and this isn't regulated, mm-hmm. but all the things I get power winning, mm-hmm. You know I'm right, yeah. and I'm, and you're smaller than me. You, I get like I get this energy from like I just overpowered you. Yeah. Now everybody, just take a second. Isn't this what we do to our kids? Mm-hmm. I am going to win. I am going to overpower you. I am going to make you feel like crap about what you're doing. I am going to shame you. I'm going to guilt you. And even when I use those words, you're like, no, no, that's not what I'm doing. What are you doing then? Yeah. When you are yelling and cornering your child, like the the question that comes up a lot, Shafali talks about this a lot about why kids lie. And a lot of times, instead of being curious about why is a kid not telling us what's happening in their lives or not being truthful, we just get mad about the lie. Sure. And we say, why would you lie? You're a liar. How horrible. I can't trust you. Instead of like, why did you feel compelled to either withhold this 
or to not, or to make up a story? Are you, and again, these aren't necessarily questions that you're asking in the moment, but are you afraid of me? Do you feel like I wouldn't support you? All that stuff you're saying. And it, if I can focus on my kid lying, then I don't have to think about how I lie. Right. You know, talk about responsibility. So if your kid's lying and it activates you and gets you dysregulated, I'm guessing that there's a part of us because I don't know what the average amount of times a human being lies in a day, but either lying to themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to be like these big, huge lies. No, no. Decisions, we make decisions all the time. Right. And I would guess that most of us lie every single day. So we could either project all our judgments onto our kid or else we can look in the mirror and say, how do I lie? Right. You know what I mean? How do I lie? And why did this kid get to a point where they felt like they needed to? Mm. And what can we put in place where that isn't necessary? What can we, what discussions can we have where they can tell me what's going on no matter what mm. and trust that I am, I have their back? Not that I'm going to lie for them because sometimes they may come, you know, this has happened plenty with little mm. kids and older kids where they come to you and say, I did something bad. Mm-hmm. And um, another tale. Swift song right. coming through my head. Um, but I did something bad and we say, okay, we have to correct this. Like when you and Skylar, you know, she was little and she had taken something from the store, not, she didn't even know what stealing was, yeah. but she had walked out with it and you're like, oh, now we have to go back mm-hmm. and we have to give this to the person and say, we're sorry. So it doesn't mean there is no, and I'll put this in air quotes, consequence. You may have to, you know, take the cycle all the way through, but at least you still have their back. Well, and from what energy are you? Because we, you know, there's a lot of people, including us, that deliver consequences to our kids' decisions. But from what energy are you executing the consequences from? Right. Are you executing it from a dysregulation? Yes. Now, one thing that's really weird, I'm going to, one of my buddies who is a big, he loves the Bible and he loves certain parts of Christianity and he quotes the Bible and there's that Bible quote, spare the rod, spoil the child or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. What's messed up from my perspective is that when he strikes his kids, he spanks his kids after they do something bad, he does it in a really calm way. Yeah. Well, because he he feels like it's under the guise of what God intended. He regulates himself And then they pray together. And I'm just like, that just sounds so messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like if I was a kid, it'd be easier for me to believe that my dad struck me when he was mad. It's even more weird to think my dad struck me when he was regulated. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's just... Well, I mean, it's just one of those things that comes up when we talk about striking anybody, right? Yeah. Where we can feel justified or we can say they learned. I mean, this comes up when older boys, um, and this can happen with girls too, but I, I find that fathers tend to struggle with this with sons. Like if someone messes with you, you hit them first mm-hmm. and you come at them and you... What we know though is the thing that we have to trust is there's words and then there's how we feel. Yeah. And these are two different things. These are like thoughts or like memorized passages from whoever. It could be from scripture or it could be from a therapist or it could be from a teacher or a parent where they're like, just do these things. Here's the words. But how does it then make you feel? Like what I know is that a lot of parents will tell me in that moment when I yelled at my child and I basically said, go to your room and I don't want to see you and I don't want to talk to you. And I yelled at them. I felt justified. Mm -hmm. And I called my friend and we talked about how justified I was and how the kid is horrible. But then what that, the reason they're coming to me is the way they felt an hour later. Sure. So once they're regulated again, 
they don't feel good about it because that's not the relationship they want and they don't they're not in alignment with their values. Yeah. You're either violent or you're not violent. Mm-hmm. That's and violence shows up as we know in emotional abuse. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, raising your voice with your kids is emotional abuse. But what I'm saying is in emotional abuse, abuse and physical abuse, words are violent and then your hands or anything else can be violent. Mm-hmm. But words can be violent. Sure. And they can, they can hurt people of and they can they cause can. so much internal damage. And we know this. And a lot of times we are doing it because it was done to us. Well, and as we kind of close the show here, because I think we have a busy morning, um, I, I want to share one quick story. Sure. I was having a conversation with some guys uh, last Wednesday before my men living group. And we were talking about Jessica. Jackson Katz documentary about the upstander moment and how we need to, one of the guys told a story about how um, he observed a woman who was being kind of bullied by these guys in a bar for not wearing a mask. Oh, okay. And I talked about how it's important for us guys, if we really believe in living in a more harmonious world, that it's our job, our responsibility to because we are in positions of power, we are the men in this situation, not to say women don't have power and aren't strong, but in that situation, she doesn't have as much power because if it got into a physical altercation, then she would have less power. And I was saying to some of the guys, like, I think it's our job to, how do we diffuse that situation? Or what do we say in that situation? And one of the guys is like, well, as long as there is no physical um, risk any of, of violence, then I wouldn't say anything. And then I started talking about emotional safety. Mm-hmm. So just because a woman isn't going to get struck by a couple of guys who are saying bad things to her doesn't mean that we can't stand up and protect not the physical safety of this woman, but the emotional safety. And it, it, it was like, some of the guys are like, well, as long as she's not going to get hit, I'm going to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. Well, it's the same thing as when we're raising children and we're very focused on physical safety. We're focused on seatbelts. We're focused on vaccines. We're focused on helmets. We're like physical safety, physical sa- safety. What about the interior life of your child? Mm-hmm. What about their emotional safety? Yeah. How do they feel in their sense of belonging? Do they feel supported? Do they feel heard? Do they feel valued for who they are? And we kind of push those things aside thinking that's not what the world is about. Mm-hmm. We're like in a two-dimensional world of as long as your body yeah. is safe. But look at the rate of depression. Yeah. Look at the rate of anxiety. You don't have to look very far to realize emotional safety is a real thing. It's in it is and those rates are skyrocketing. And so the fact that we are only focused on pe- on our children or other people's physical safety, that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah, right. But emotional safety is essential. Well, and if we're just going to like say, oh, yeah, anyways, we can go on and Can on I say one thing? So sure. last week I uh, I was recording my audio book, you guys. I did like three days sitting in a chair reading my own book. So my, my book, Zen Parenting, will be read by me. So if you buy the audio book, it is me. Um, but I'm laughing because I had, it was an amazing experience. I was in a recording studio and I had a director and a producer and I just felt really special. And well, I felt special, but I also felt very humbled. It was very, very hard work. And one of the, um, sentences that I really struggled with over and over again was exactly what we're talking about. Um, where I'm talking about if you're, I tell a story about how, I, when I do presentations or I'm teaching groups of parents, 
I'll say, how many of you wish your children were afraid of you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, honestly, the hands in the last like 10 years have gone down mm. a little bit. It's not as, 10 years ago, people used to raise their hand sure. really high. And I feel like it's less than that now, but there's still a lot of people. And then I'll say, how many of you sometimes wish your children were afraid of you? And then people will laugh and they'll be like, me, yeah. me, me. And then the sentence I had to say that I kept messing up during this audiobook was, if your children are sometimes afraid of you, then they are afraid of you. I actually did it well, right? You did there. it very well. I don't know why I kept I kept not messing up the words, but the inflection. The director kept saying, Can you do that again? Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure you're saying it the way you want to. But the point of that sentence and why she knew it was she kept saying, This is a really important line. This you've got to make sure you say this in a way where people get it, which is a lot of us are like, I want my children to come to me. My children trust that I love them. My children know that I'm there for them. But if you are dysregulated a lot of the time and you are angry with them or they are afraid of how you will react or they are walking on eggshells around you, then they're then they're afraid of you. Mm-hmm. And so we may say, well, I'm not scary all the time, but they don't know that they can... And it's okay to have emotion. Like, here's the thing. Like, this is, I want to make this cleaner for parents so they don't walk away feeling bad. If you've yelled at your child, which we all have, to go back and be like, this morning, I was in such a hurry and I totally took it out on you. I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. It's over. Your child realizes you had an emotional response just like they do. They just yelled at their friend that day and they felt bad about it. Now they know how they need to go back to their friend because you came to them and taught them. You apologize and you show up and say, I I take responsibility. So will you make mistakes with your kids again? Will you yell at them? Yes. Mm -hmm. But how do you handle it later? Or let's take another step back. Can you notice you're about to yell at your kids and take a breath? And focus on self-awareness and attempt to regulate yourself before you do that. And you can even walk away and be like, oh, I feel like I'm going to yell. Like even have some humor with yourself. Yeah. So my point is, it's never about don't have the emotion. It's about how you deal with it and what tools you have in place. If you have a therapist, if you have a coach, if you have a friend, if you have a journal, if you have a basement where you can go yell into the void or go to a, we used to go down the street to this, we have a bunch of um, open parks around us and we just yell. And even pillows, yell into a pillow. It's a, it's always, if you're at, if you're at home, it's always accessible. It is. You don't and, have to go down the street. And let your kids do that mm-hmm. and allow them to have those feelings. So summing up today, dysregulation. Are you dysregulated? And if so, are you righteous about it and you think you should be and can be? And if that's the truth, is that what you're teaching your kids? And if that's the truth, is that what you really want to teach them? So do you see how this is a, or are your expectations for your kids and other adults completely different from what your expectations are for yourself? Mm. Meaning you feel like you have the right to yell and yeah, scream there's and There's a pound, misalignment there. But you don't want anyone else to do that. So that's self-awareness too. So there, there we go. Um, thanks to our partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Give him a call. Tell him Todd and Kathy sent you. 630-956-1800, avidco.net. I also coach guys one-on-one. So for sessions free, go to toddadamscoaching.com. Adios. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.